to Taking Ship, a guided cruise through dumbest timeline America. I'm Frank Spring, and with me, as always, is Ellie Jacobs, a man who has thus far utterly refused to beware the Ides of March and has yet to be stabbed by a conspiracy of colleagues and friends. So let that be a lesson to us all. Hey, Ellie. Hey, Frank. As always, we'd like to thank all of our listeners for their comments, both positive and negative, and really urge everyone as a New Year's resolution and as a tax-deductible contribution to the world uh, to get in your reviews before the end of the year and make the uh, resolution to get your friends to leave res- to leave reviews next year. Uh, urge you to subscribe and rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter. So again, resolutions all around. And at Twitter, we're taking ship, and that's ship with a P as in paradoxical. It's interesting that you bring up the Ides of March. My brother, years ago, was working for a firm that uh, was waiting to get some of their licenses. So it was just a lot of guys sitting around doing nothing all day. And a bunch of them were watching Rome. Uh, which was a great HBO series that was canceled. Well, I mean, probably about the right time. Although there was, I would, a say, third, a little, I would say, a little early. Yeah, there was a third season developed pretty pretty easily there with you know the Jewish revolt in in uh, Judea. Uh, yeah. But anyway, it's not like there's not it's not like there's too little Roman history to make yeah. a show. Yeah, yeah. A highly recommended listeners if you have if y'all haven't watched HBO's Rome, uh, two uneven but I think high quality seasons, and it is and it is essential precursor to a large number of very good shows that followed. Indeed. Um, and has, uh, uh, what, what's the, uh, Lightfoot, Fightfoot, whatever his name, the guy who played, uh, Mark Antony couldn't have been better cast. James, oh, yeah. James, James Purefoy. Yeah. Purefoy. Pure, yeah, yeah. 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 Anyway, so a bunch of guys are sitting there watching and one of them turned to my brother and said, you know, I think that Brutus is up to something. You know, <clears throat> let's not ju- let's not jump to conclusions. Don't let but us I, rush to judgment. But I feel that gives us a good segue into our first topic. <laughs> yes, yes, it certainly does. It's a, that's excellent. Got it. I think that Brutus is up to something. Well, maybe it's hard to say. Yeah. So uh, this one is good. This is a, a nice, uh, a brief year-end wrap-up episode. Welcome, listeners, to our year-end wrap-up in which we talk about some of our, well, favorite is not necessarily the right word, but we talk about some of the things this year that have really caught our attention. So imagine if instead of my favorite things, uh, the song was just, these are some of the the most uh, dramatically appalling uh, or really impressively stupid things uh, that we, you know, uh, these are some of my most impressively stupid things. That's the song. That was the original uh, text. It was rewritten for the musical, and it's a shame. Okay, so heading into uh, that version of my favorite things. Uh, what is Ellie? What would you say is your the your favorite uh, dumbest thing that happened in uh, Dumbest Timeline America this year? I mean, there's just there's so many dumb things that happened in Dumbest Timeline America, uh, but I pinpoint uh, a lot of the dumbness to one specific event, and it was the start of an appalling series of other events that have followed through the rest of the year. It was Sean Spicer's press conference um, immediately yeah. following the inauguration where he claimed that it would have been and more people attended and more people watched than any in the history of the world, despite there, despite there being both photographic and Nielsen evidence that that was so far from the truth. Uh, but he demanded that. Um, to me, that was, the sing- that was the dumbest thing that happened in Dumbest Timeline America because it just served as an entryway to everything else. 
That's a really, really strong choice. I, you know, it's it's funny to think. I, I first of all, I, if you had said that said that, I would have sworn that that happened charitably five or six years ago. Yeah, yeah. I was a much younger man. Yeah, we were all we cut, we cut, weren't we? Just and uh, and and I would have also. I, I have to say, like I had, I had almost forgotten that Sean Spicer existed. Yeah, I was going to say that I'd forgotten that he was the press secretary. I'd forgotten the man was a was a living corporeal being. Yep. Which I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it living, but he was certainly around. And and very visible for a while, so that's a really strong choice. I, I admire that very much, and I congratulations on remembering that particular horror show. <laughs> and and what what about yours? What is your pick for dumbest thing? So my dumbest thing—it's not from Dumbest Timeline America. My favorite thing is uh, my favorite dumbest thing of 2017 is the is Theresa May's uh, snap election in in yeah. the UK. It is absolutely astonishing. I I I cannot get past how irredeemably stupid it was. <laughs> and, and it was an idea that seemed reasonable. And, and, and like so many wonderfully, really stupid things, it seemed like a good idea at the time to so many people. And, and indeed may not have been legitimately, legitimately as terrible an idea as it turned out to be. But for the fact that having announced this, having, having gone to the country to seek an expanded mandate for Brexit, uh, with you know, I mean, sky high polling in the end of her end of the Labour Party nigh, uh, she then proceeded to effectively I mean, not to literally lose the election. The Conservatives returned as the largest party, but to return, but to lose her parliamentary majority to fundamentally weaken her position uh, as PM to the point that the only reason that the Conservative Party can't get rid of her is they can't figure out who would take her place, and, and because there, there's no. There's no one who could who could win that seat that they like. I'm looking at you, Boris Johnson. Uh, yeah. Left and left her party and her government uh, without anything like the majority that they would need uh, to be able to push through a Brexit uh, a Brexit deal uh, that would be amenable to that would that would work for any of the relevant parties. It is one of the great uh, one of the great defeats pulled from the jaws of victory. I can I can think of or to use the parlance of the term a truly historic historic cell phone yeah 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 second or, or maybe ju- just barely besting david cameron's decision to have the brexit vote in the first place sure i mean i would have thought this is exactly right i would have thought that having the brexit vote would have been the greatest brexit related fuck up by a uh, by a conservative prime minister in a in the space of a calendar year like, that doesn't seem like that big. <laughs> that doesn't seem like that bold contradiction, and yet it would have been completely wrong. Yeah, yeah, it was just just awe inspiring. All right, those are those are two good picks for dumbest things to happen in the past year. Um, what's the biggest lesson you took from twenty seventeen? The biggest lesson I took from twenty seventeen. So the 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 easy and and maybe the true answer is uh, the dumbest possible thing will happen. Do not because it is unthinkably stupid uh do that is not a reason it will not happen that is why it is the most likely outcome that would be the kind of cynical answer and it's one that i feel very deeply the other one that i would say a little more sincerely because it's you know we're approaching the end of the year and and i promise as a as a special treat for our listeners i will not sing old lang syne but the holidays are a time of reflection a more serious answer and and this there is a time for for serious answers even on this podcast the holidays are a time of for reflection, even though it was a special treat for our listeners, I will not sing "Old Lang Syne." Uh, I think a more serious answer would be: uh, 2017 has continued a, a trend that I think began in, in 16 that revealed uh, a, a certain emptiness uh, at the heart of what is driving a lot of our politics, both on the right and the left. Uh, 
uh, it's it's clear that the old systems of politics, the old way that we've talked about them, uh, and talked about the issues that drive them, just isn't isn't working. It isn't landing with with the electorate, and and by that I mean people, uh, in the way that it used to. So I think so. I mean, what's the biggest lesson from twenty seventeen? All of us, I think, would do well to take a good long look at why we do what we do if we are in politics or political affairs, public affairs in any way. Take a good long hard look and do what we do and really and and see if we are doing what we are doing because it's the way it's always been done, because it's comfortable, because it's familiar, uh, or if if that's still our, our, our true north. And there are a lot of people out there who will look at that, who discovered their true norths in 2017 and, and are going to be and, and we'll, we'll find that a very pleasant process. But a lot of, for a lot of us, that's a process of very real reflection. Uh, but if, if, if 2016 began to teach us anything in 2017, really drove home that lesson, uh, it's that uh, there is, a, a, you know, in some respects, a, a crisis of, of motivation, I think, on maybe, on maybe on both sides of the political spectrum, certainly on the right. Uh, and to, to guard against that requires that we examine our own pretty carefully. So that would be those. That would be my actual serious answer to this question. What would be? What is your biggest lesson of 2017? So I also kind of have a two-part answer. The first one is just a very practical uh, response, and we all kind of knew it uh, developing in 15 and 16. Uh, but the you know big lesson, and uh, for especially for foreign governments or anybody trying to understand domestic politics or international politics in the age of Trump, is that the president cares about two things and two things only: uh, narcissism, uh, his own ego, and transaction what can he get what can he get for any act action any action he's taking he's looking at as that as a chit for something later um so that's just kind of a practical thing but you hit on something that, that i've been thinking a lot about also uh, we touched a little bit about this uh, last week and, and uh, you know it's more of a societal thing you know the question of do we still have a society um and i'm not sure that we do um we don't have we don't all agree on facts we you know, bury our heads into the sand in our, in our own corners. And a lot of what you were saying is hundred percent true. And I think the two feed off of each other. And, and you also end up with a situation where you have two political parties that in essence exist only to be each other's foil, which isn't a good way for, to, to run a country. And we talked about this a lot last week of the kind of the bouncing back and forth every two or four years. Um, so I think the biggest lesson is that there is like you were saying something truly missing and there needs to be some self-reflection on, on everybody's parts. And I hope that, you know, into 2018, 2019, um, maybe there's some clarity. Yeah. yeah, I think that, that, that sounds about right. So <clears throat> onto the cynical business of politics. It doesn't have to be cynical, but it can be. Uh, onto it, the, oh, it will be. <laughs> it will be, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, you know, honestly, like this is about as much sincerity as I think either of us is capable of for any sustained period. Uh, looking at uh, 2018 then. I uh, feel like if we had sponsors, we would have cut to a, like a, just an outlandish like, you know, a used car salesman. Like with yeah, like this, a with like the with like the you know the the crank thing that the monkey plays in the background like that would have been his theme music just like such an outlandish break from something serious to like you know goofy Bob's used car emporium or something that's exactly we missed an opportunity to do a high concept Casper mattress sale yeah you know just you know you know what you know what's a great place to reflect on on the positive and good no, of of a worthy motivation in modern politics atop a casper mattress you know you know where's a good place to bury your head after you've realized that there all is for naught in the world has no meaning atop the pillowy soft comfort of a casper mattress, casper mattress. oh boy when you decide to never go out and face the day again 
<laughs> you have only one friend. Nothing will barricade your door better than a Casper mattress. <laughs> All right. What's your prediction for the uh, the House of Representatives in 2018? Uh, I, I still, I, I am not terribly optimistic on the Democrats. I think they cut cut the deficit significantly, but I just don't see Paul Ryan not being the speaker in 2019. I'm going to disagree with you on that one. I do think I do think they win. The question is, uh, is this in which case I still don't know that I don't see Paul Ryan Paul being Ryan the speaker in 2019. Right. <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, and boy, there, there's there's something horrifying in that. Or uh, Tim Ryan. How awesome would that be if you just have two Ryans one after Ryan another? Ryan. I know exactly. It just becomes so this kind of like weird Irish hereditary thing. Yeah. So, you know. Anyway, okay. Yeah. So yeah. So you're you're a pessimistic. I'm more optimistic. There. I'd like to be. I'd like to be wrong. Uh, just right now. I, Going back to our, our thesis of in dumbest timeline America, the dumbest thing will happen. Uh, the dumbest thing to happen would be for the Republicans to hold major- stick, keep their majority. Yeah. I, right now, I see. The, I think that's right. I think that is the dumbest thing that could happen. Uh, I think th- there is a version of that, though, in which the structural disadvantage the Republicans face in, in kind of the slope of the electorate, which, again, is very against um, Republicans right now, Republic, congressional Republicans specifically, is just too much for them to overcome. They lose the House. But as a Democratic Party, either because of, you know, we, we, we love to, you know, pundits, activists, whatever, love to throw stones at the, at the national committees. And a lot of the times they deserve it. But many of these decisions are made by campaigns themselves. And either because of uh, you know, misapprehensions or miscalculations amongst, you know, at the national committee level or at the candidate level or both, if we fail to make a sufficiently affirmative case for ourselves and we end up with a, a tiny, tiny majority, first of all, that's fine. That, that beats the absolute holy hell out of not having a majority at all. But, the, but you know, if we end up with a tiny majority uh, and, and are not able to really do much meaningful with it, uh, and, it become, and it's impermanent and vulnerable and all the other things that we don't want it to be, uh, because we have relied on people's dislike of Trump to get us where we need to go. That's another variant of the dumbest possible thing. I actually am not predicting that right now. I'm predicting a better result, but that could certainly happen. Yeah. My, my fear is um, that the only positive message Democrats put out there is the hyper populist progressive message of the Bernie Sandernistas. And I don't think that speaks to enough of the country. That's what worries me. Worries me. That's I, this has been a subject of discussion with us. I think I, I'm not calling for by any means calling for for the Bernie platform to become the platform of the party. I think what we have seen over the last couple of years has shown that that kind of uh, that kind of you know almost a social democratic platform is may not be the may not be the majority winning platform that I think that a lot of Bernieites think it is. I also don't think it's the poison that we. Oh should, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm willing to yeah. yeah. And, and so I think, so, but I think drifting, I think moving in that direction actually would not only be politically useful. I think it's really important to start addressing income inequality and some of the other issues that we that are these big structural things that you know not, that endanger democracy itself and and have very real consequences on people's lives. Uh, and but I but I think your point is is well made and well taken. There are going to be candidates who will need to fight in in districts where that's just not where that kind of platform just isn't going to take. Um, yep. I think. You know, we there, yeah. And I, so, I, so I fully take your point there. If we decide, and, and I don't think there's any danger of that. I think the danger is, uh, if there's any indication of us staying more with a kind of Clintonian centrism as a kind of party line, when in fact we could actually and should actually be drifting a little bit leftward. Yeah. So. yeah. All right. Uh, moving moving across the uh, the rotunda. Um, mm-hmm. What are your what's your prediction on the Senate? 
you know, God, it's that one. That one is really hard to say. I, I have a sense right now that there are Republicans are not fielding good challengers in states that they need to play offense. Yeah. And they've got some joker in Missouri. They've got nobody in North Dakota. Yeah, they got nobody in North, and that that was the one that I that that should have been a sure thing uh, for them almost. And they've got a batshit lunatic in Arizona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Arizona is a potential pickup. Uh, they're going to have to spend. Oh my god, they're going to have to spend so much money defending Ted Cruz. This is my thing, actually. Rather than make, a, I actually am going to make a prediction. If you put me on a razor sharp fence right now, I actually say that that we have. I don't like to make binaries like, oh, we're going to win or we're not going to win. Except in the case of the House, where I'm so confident that there's majority that will in that case. I think there's a good chance, a, a good chance the Democrats regain the Senate. What I want to talk about on that, though, is how absolutely delicious it's going to be when the Republican establishment has to spend $65 million defending Ted Cruz within his own, from within his own campaign, you know, the NRSC, all of their, you know, the constellation of PACs and super PACs and every other thing. The fact that all of these established the Republican establishment is going to have to come out of the woodwork to protect Ted Cruz, whom they hate and who obviously hates them, is is just going to be delightful. You can't, you know, the, you know our listeners can't see it, but I'm doing the Italian chef kissing his fingers. It's so good. Like that just fills me with absolute joy. So I think they're playing defense in too many places that they in too many places, and I don't think they're playing good offense in enough. And I think that's a recipe for loss. So I think Democrats have a good shot at winning. What about you? I actually am more optimistic on the Senate, um, and that's for the exact reasons you just laid out. Um, in the seats that they, you know, should be almost gimmies, um, which I look as kind of West Virginia and North Dakota and potentially are, uh, Missouri, uh, they're not fielding particularly good candidates. Uh, I don't buy into the John Tester's vulnerable thing. Montana is a fascinating state for a lot of reasons, um, and John Tester is not, I don't think, as vulnerable as people think he is. I think he was six years ago. I don't think he is now. Um, and Missouri is really, I mean, that's just, it's the microcosm of the country. So Missouri is really always the one to watch. Um, and Claire McCaskill's got a great machine down there. So I don't know how vulnerable she may be, but I, I agree. I think watching, uh, watching the, the Ted Cruz, uh, fiesta, uh, for the next year and a half is going to be just absolutely amazing. It's going to be tremendous. Everyone, everyone tune into that. You can sell popcorn to it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Turning now to a favorite subject of some of our more our sprightlier friends on the left, uh, what is your uh, your view, your prediction on what may or may not be coming from uh, Robert Mueller and his team in the new year? Yeah, so I mean, there, there's obviously a, a, a great deal of smoke out there. Um, there are three different congressional committees uh, investigating. Um, you know, obviously the House Intelligence Committee. There's a lot of work on the uh, Republican right to shut it down. Um, I don't know that that will actually happen. Um, and on the Senate side, it just seems the Senate Intel Committee just, you know, discovers more and more and more, which should give you all, which should give everybody an indication that we have absolutely no idea what is happening with the Mueller investigation. Anybody who thinks that they can read the tea leaves just doesn't know. Um, they seem to not be leaking at all. Uh, the fact that they indicted two people and nobody found out about it for weeks is astounding, um, especially in a city like D.C., um, I think that there are a lot of people who are going to be in a lot of trouble, um, but I don't see um, the ba bag of flaming shit ending up uh, at the doorstep of 1600. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, I, I would say that I don't, well, we talked about this before. I don't think, and again, all the caveats in the world, I doubt that there is a headshot on Trump himself in this. I don't think they're going to get him personally. No, they um, may get him on an obstruction of justice. 
that's sure. yeah, that, exactly. that's feasible. But in yeah, terms that's of exactly right. But the in terms of the coordination, because again, collusion is not a legal distinction. But the elite, any kind of illegal coordination, um, I think Jared is pretty well screwed. Um, I mean, it's remarkable that uh, he's now revised his SF eighty six one hundred and thirty three times and still doesn't have security clearance. Yeah, it's shocking. And so there's going to be that. That's going to come to a head. I think that we begin to hear more in the in the discourse more about uh, the money laundering aspect of this. I think that's going to become yeah. that's going to come sharp, into sharper focus. But the only other prediction that I would offer here, except that I suspect a few more of the kind of lackey level are going to be indicted. Uh, I think if there is a kind of political crisis about this, I think it happens in 2019. Yeah, I agree with that. All right. Uh, 2018 predictions. What is the most stupid thing you expect to happen? The most stupid thing I expect to happen, something will happen either in international affairs or some kind of event will occur and there will be a Trump renaissance. I don't know how long it's going to last, but there will be a thing where, you know, today is the day that Trump became president again. Uh, And I don't know when it's going to happen and I don't know what it is going to be, but it will occur. Yeah, that's a good call. That that's that's a lot dumber than the thing that I was thinking of. Yeah, that's that's a good call. I don't want to. I don't want to play. Let's move on. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that's a grim game. All right. What's, uh, what's the thing that you are looking? What's the thing you're looking for? What would you like to see in 2018? I would like to see a couple moves in the Senate that actually create some level of potential bipartisan cooperation on a couple things. Um, and I think, you know, in some of the interviews that McConnell's given recently, um, and obviously, you know, Chuck Schumer's, you know, he's a wheeler and dealer. I think he's open to just about anything that doesn't go against his, his ideology and Trump has no ideology. So I think, uh, and he has no ideology and out of the four leaders of the legislative branch, he gravitates towards Schumer, uh, because they're both outer borough guys and they get each other, um, I think the thing I'm really I'm looking for is that there is some kind of cooperation on a couple big things. You know, let's get the immigration figured out. Let's get an infrastructure bill going. Let's figure out a fix to Obamacare uh, or the healthcare system in general that at least you know helps some people out uh, in in the short and long term. That that's what I'm hoping for. I'm looking, you know, and, and you know, I'm putting on the rose-colored rose-tinted glasses on it, but I'm hoping for just a wee bit of bipartisanship. Sure. You know, I mean, the idea of, you know, hoping for a little bit of functionality is a, is a, is a modest hope. And that seems about right. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, at this stage. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. I think what I would like to see, and this goes back to something we just talked about. I would like to see, uh, there is, I would like to see Democrats taking advantage of, of a really, of a structural advantage. Uh, I mean, we have the, I mean, politics is just tilted against Republicans right now. That's, there is, there is, you know, no question about that. I would like to see uh, some of the, some, some of the democratic money there's been, that has been held back waiting to see how 2018 shapes up. Uh, If you go around and talk to, you know, folks in, in politics, they'll tell you that there has been a lot of the money that is usually in democratic politics from major donors, especially has been kind of held in 2017. They're waiting to see what happens. Um, I'd like for some of that money to break loose. I think that there are a lot of great projects, all of which should be, you know, all of which are deserving of some, or many of which are deserving of support. Uh, and I think that, you know, what we have seen in Virginia and in the Doug Jones win in Alabama, and we talked about one to learn the right lessons and not overinterpret what happened there. 
But that was the result of a large number of actors making some very shrewd investments, including the DNC funding, uh, some grassroots uh, organizing the African-American community, and that was essentially received no media coverage uh, whatsoever. Uh, and, and because it wouldn't, it's low level stuff. You don't, you know, there's, you know, organizing isn't sexy. It doesn't make headlines, but those were, those were dollars that were well spent and put to good use. My hope, that's how you take advantage of a, that's how you take advantage of a structural advantage. You don't just assume people's disgust with, you know, with a terrible Republican candidate and with a president that even if they, this is Joe Trippi's analysis, that even people who like Trump think that he has enough, he has caused enough chaos, that they're not looking for more chaos agents. Um, so, not assuming so you know, taking advantage of the structural of, of you know the structure of politics uh, by you know making some shrewd investments in communities that we haven't traditionally gone organizing in and you know and really understanding that you know as that the as we back candidates from those communities the party will be better um, mm-hmm. so that's this is another way this is basically just this is another way of going back to my hobby horse we have to make an affirmative case for ourselves as a party uh, that ca- and and making that ca- that case is going to be leftier than we made in 2016, uh, and we need to you know we need to invest early in organizing. We need for that money to what I would hope to see is for the money to break loose to do uh, grassroots organizing, particularly in communities of color that often receive the barest level of organization or underfunded organization and late in the game, start early, start often, uh, and, and really, and, and that's, that's how you take advantage of a, a, of a playing field that right now is tilted in our favor and build a durable majority rather than a, a temporary one. So that's the thing. Those are the things that I would hope to see in 2018. Those are good. Um, mine was a little alt center, but I kind of, I kind of feel on that today. There's, it's fine. And there's, you know, I mean, there's nothing, you know, I think as a there's nothing wrong with fun, with things working. There's nothing wrong with things working, and I think it's important to I think it's important to make a distinction between alt centrism and because we talk. I mean, obviously, like you know, PSA, if, you know, for all of our listeners, if you or someone you know is at risk for alt centrism, please get help. Uh, you know, there is a distinction between any call for bipartisan functionality is not by definition alt centric. Right. What you just what you talked about an immigration deal would make people's lives better. I mean, it would almost certainly involve some way, any deal would involve uh, allowing the dreamers to stay, which is really, really important. Not just, I mean, it's principally and centrally important for them, but it is also important for the soul of the country to allow these people to stay. And if you Uh, want to be brutal about it, the economy. Sure. I mean, yeah, if you want to be brutal about it, but that's, that's, that's your sort of, but that's, you know, that, that is our, that's, that is a concern as well. You know, you know, less than their, than their continued, you know, their continued chance at happiness and maybe then our more and more, you and I can then debate whether it's our immortal souls or the economy that's important next. But oh, hoping for a bipartisan yeah. approach on immigration is not all, is not all centric, all centrist at all. And neither is hoping for an immigration infrastructure bill. Right. As much as from a cynical political perspective, I would hope that, you know, that these that, there, that this Congress and this president sign nothing else between them. Yeah. I recognize this is not good. We've got to have some stuff that we can drive on and, you know, we've got to, you know, and, you know, take our trains on. We've got, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that needs fixing. This is the public infrastructure needs to be done. So this, this, you know, I take this not to chastise you for calling yourself alt centrist, but just to elucidate, I hope for our, it's important to differentiate it for our listeners. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. To, yeah, to elucidate, I think the difference between being an alt centrist and, you know, alt centrism is not, is not hoping for functional government. Right. Uh, it is prioritizing civility and fetishizing civility and, and, and finding virtue in your opponents, even when there is none. Yeah. Yeah. 
right. So, so with with right. with that in mind, what's the uh, major thing that you hope does not happen? So the thing that I'm afraid I don't want to have happen is again, as I build my castle in the air of our potential victory and I hope large victory in the 2018 elections, there are going to be a lot of Democratic candidates that are going to lose. There's just, I mean, when you run a lot of candidates and we are running a lot of candidates this year, and that's great, a lot of them are going to lose. That's just the nature of things where Democrats are appearing in races where they haven't appeared in a generation. So we're going to be some Democrats who are going to lose. We just need to get ready for that. Uh, and we are going to, and, and for those losing candidates and for those losing campaigns and the victorious campaigns as well, and, and every cycle we do this, and I hope maybe now we're going to start getting it right. Every campaign cycle that I have ever worked, I have heard someone at some level, either in the campaign that I've worked on or one that's adjacent, make a commitment to taking this ornate palace of money and labor and loyalty that the campaigns have built in the service of those camp and of those candidates and and housing it and protecting it and nurturing it and making it ready for a new generation of for another generation of candidates and activists right we're going to take the organizing that we've done this cycle and we're going to make sure that it is preserved for future election cycles so that people are retained and every year that fails my hope for this year is the candidates who have lost and campaigns win, lose, or draw, that infrastructure is finally preserved within their, their, you know, usually within their local parties, within someone who can house the lists, house the relationships, and preserve them for 2020. Because the thing that I am really afraid, ultimately this all goes under one name, what I'm afraid of is 2018 happens, let's say we win, let's say we win big, it sets us up for, you know, hearings, possibly impeachments, and we say, ah, oh, thank God our job is done. This thing is over. It is not over. by It will not be over by a country goddamn mile. It will just be getting started. Yeah, and not to mention, you know, the thousand um, uh, statewide and local seats that we lost over the last eight years. Exactly. And that's what I'm talking about. We're running for statewide and local seats. A lot of them, we're just not going to be able to win them back this time. Those candidates will be, I mean, you know, what happens to those candidates? Historically, we've just been like, well, if you guys want to run again, great. Right. You know, who takes them and, and listen, you don't win them all. You know, you've got, you know, we've got to come back and come back stronger. So that's my, you know, 2018, even if it turns out to be the biggest victory that we could possibly hope for is very, very far from the end. We should celebrate it if it's a victory, but it is just the beginning. And, and if we fail to understand that and fail to prepare for it, we will rue the goddamn day. So that's the major thing I really hope does not happen. What would it be for you, Ellie? Uh, mine are bigger and grander. Um, I hope that we don't start a war with North Korea, nor do we start a war with Iran. Those are um, both extremely reasonable positions. Yeah. And, and my fear for both uh, goes back to dumbest timeline America um, th- uh, theorems. Uh, you know, the United States and, and with Japan or with South, South Korea have done a lot of uh, low-level flights over the border with North Korea, uh, with B-1 bombers, B-52 bombers. My fear is that, you know, some young hotshot North Korean guy just starts taking pot shots at one of these overflights, and that's what sparks this thing. Uh, that would be that dumbest timeline America start of the second Korean War, or I guess the continuation of the Korean War. Um, and with Iran, um, you know, in January, uh, there are a lot of deadlines that are um, coming up, um, meaning that Trump has to recertify a whole bunch of things, things that he's not going to want to do. Um, that could result in the destruction of the Iran deal and good, bad, different, whatever you think about it. Uh, the bottom line is, is that for the time being, it is keeping, it is the only thing keeping Iran from a nuclear weapon short of war. Um, so we should all hope that it, it stays in place at least for a wee bit longer. 
um, because a war in the Middle East against Iran um, ends poorly for everyone. Yes, it certainly does. So you know, there you know there there you have it, folks. I hope that uh, Democrats don't squander political advantage. Ellie Jacobs hopes that uh, a whole that millions of people don't lose their lives, uh, you know, in you know in senseless violence, and that uh, American leadership is permanently and forever tarnished forever. Yeah, that's a good sum up. Yeah, yeah. All so, right. Uh, <laughs> so, so having I think established a, a nice moral breadth there, uh, <laughs> nothing else. Uh, uh, lighter matters. Do you have uh, predictions on any bowls or the uh, college football national championship you want to get out uh, before we really get into this thing? No particular predictions. I think you know things kind of play out the way they usually do. Um, you know, I'm I I, t- I tend to root against Alabama at any given time. Um, I don't know that Georgia is going to be able to beat Oklahoma or that Alabama is necessarily going to be be able to beat Clemson. So it's hard to say which of those, you know, who's going to shake out as the victor, but one would hope that um, it's not Alabama. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, Yeah. I I do have a strong prediction that Notre Dame will beat LSU. So, you know, that matters. That's a bold, that's a, that's, that is a bold ass prediction. Uh, (laughs) And I look forward to seeing if that, if that comes true or not. Um, yeah, no, I think I think that's about right. I I utter a prediction mainly because I want it to be this way more than that. I think it will be this way. Uh, give me Georgia over Clemson for the national championship, and because this oh, and all being well, we'll come out in time for this plug. Uh, we would like to plug uh, for all of our listeners. Remember to watch the Holiday Bowl, Holiday Bowl, uh, of which uh, friend of the podcast, former guest of the podcast, uh, Matt Strabone is on its committee. It will also be a very good game: uh, Washington State versus Michigan State. Uh, Washington State will throw the ball 90 times a game. Michigan State will throw the ball nine times. It's like watching two different eras of American football play each other. Um, and it's going to be a lot of fun in that respect. So tune in to the Holiday Bowl and think good thoughts on, about Matt Strabone while you do it. Now, do we know what channel the Holiday Bowl is on is that on we can direct our... The, it's on one of the ESPNs. One of the ESPNs. The Ocho. The Ocho, Exactly. All right. Uh, so with that, uh, we'll close out the uh, year, our last episode for the year. Frank, it's been a, a great year. I think we're up to 40 some out of these. I think we started in February, March, something like that. So we've, yes. we've got a, we've got a good backlog, uh, plenty of stuff for Casper Mattress and other potential sponsors to listen to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're hoping for a great... by, appalled, aghast, yeah. repelled. Yeah. Uh, we've, we're hoping to have a pretty good slate of guests uh, in the first couple weeks of 2018. So please be sure to stick around. We're going to try to get uh, as many candidates uh, for office as we can um, in the first part of the year before, th- before the primaries start. Um, so please be sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes so you don't miss any of those. Follow us on Twitter at, at taking ship. And that's ship with a P as in predictions as our theme. Um, and with that, Frank, where are we headed for our last trip, last trip of the year? Ah, uh, yes. For our last trip of the year, uh, thanks to a reader or a listener tip, I should say a listener tip. Uh, and, and also, incidentally, just uh, thank you all of your listeners, who, all listeners who have stuck with us uh, for this year. We look forward to uh, bringing you further insightful and I, we hope humorous content in the future. So thanks to uh, a listener tip, uh, we go this week to uh, Utkiavik, Alaska. Utkiavik, uh, Alaska, formerly Barrow, Alaska, uh, returned by vote to its original Inuit name last year. It is the northernmost point in the United States and the location of the Wiley Post Will Rogers Memorial Airport, uh, so named because uh, that pilot and that uh, noted columnist and humorist uh, died in an airplane accident uh, in that area uh, uh, in the 1930s. 
So that airport, the Wiley Post and Will Rogers Memorial Airport, was briefly shut down to all air traffic almost two months ago when a massive bearded seal took up position on the tarmac. It refused to move. It resisted all attempts to be attempted or coerced from its resting place and eventually had to be dragged off by sled, which, I mean, first, who amongst us? But secondly, and more concerningly, is this a heartwarming example of laziness as a lifestyle, or was it an attempt at critical infrastructure sabotage? I fear, and I don't want to be an alarmist here in this, this holiday season, but I fear it is part of the rising tide of marine aggression that threatens to engulf us all, and, and we at Taking Ship aim to find out. So, friends, we take ship for the northernmost point in the United States uh, and uh, for truth and for justice. Take care, everybody. Happy New Year.